Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. One of the things I'm doing this summer, if you haven't caught the theme yet, is just highlighting different areas of Catholic pilgrimage, because we're all going on vacation at some point this summer, and you know there's probably a Catholic site somewhere nearby that you'll be able to visit and engage with your Catholic faith while also having that recreation with your family. And there's lots of books out there. We've talked to some of those people already. But there's another one out there that I think that I need to draw attention to. In fact, I was able to look at it in advance and even offer a little blurb of endorsement for it. And it is the book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, People and Places That Shaped the Church in the United States. It's by Kevin Schmiesing, who joins me today. He is a lecturer on church history for Mount St. Mary Seminary and School of Theology in Cincinnati, Ohio, and is the director of research at the Freedom and Virtue Institute. And he covers a lot of history in this book, but also gives us a lot of places to visit. And I'm looking forward to talking with him about those places right now. Thanks so much for joining me, Kevin. Father, thank you for this opportunity, and I should say as well, I've already done this privately, but let me publicly thank you for your kind endorsement of the book. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I uh, always love looking at books in advance, and I especially loved your book, just because I'm one of those people that goes on pilgrimage throughout the country. Uh, in fact, the very first uh, p- place you mention in your book is St. Augustine, and I vacation there every year because it's the oldest city in the United States, and I just love the Marian Shrine there, Our Lady of La Leche. And uh, so when I saw that, you start with St. Augustine, and I saw some of the other great places you highlight, uh, it was very easy to get behind that book, that's for sure. Yeah, you probably do even more traveling than I do, I'm guessing, but uh, pilgrimage has been a big part of my faith experience as well. I talk about that a little bit in the introduction. I talk about the way in which my parents integrated Catholic pilgrimage sites or Catholic uh, sites of historical or religious significance into our family vacations. So it was uh, bred into me from a young age, if you will, and I've continued that tradition with my own family as well. Yeah, and that was the first thing I wanted to bring up, because that's something I always highlight to people is look for the road signs and stop at some of those places. And I have a parish in Brussels, Wisconsin, and we have a grotto that I was able to get declared a historical marker. And uh, just yesterday, I was outside uh, before I was going to head somewhere, and there was a vehicle in the parking lot from Missouri, And they're like, yeah, we're camping down at the campground just a few miles down the road, and we've driven by it a few times, and we want to stop. And it can be as simple as stopping at a grotto that's in a cemetery and maybe reading the historical marker or... I also know when you drive down to St. Louis, for example, and you're on I-55 here coming down from Wisconsin, Chicago, etc., well, there's a big blue sign that says Our Lady of Snow's Shrine. And so when you see something like that, I think that it's an invitation for us to go and to stop at that place, even if it's just for a brief moment. But you said, as you just mentioned, that your family incorporated some of this religiosity into your vacations. And what are some of those places, maybe as a child, you remember stopping and visiting at? Yeah, let me first uh, respond to the first part of that comment, because you highlighted something or pointed to something that I've been thinking about lately. And this wasn't really in the book. 
Um, but as I've thought about the significance of the book, and this has occurred to me, and you alluded to it, um, these wayside shrines or signs or uh, monuments or whatever there is, kind of markers on the religious landscape, if you will, of American history, of American culture, I think are especially important these days because, yes, they have this personal faith dimension. They, they can enhance, contribute to our own growth in our faith personally, but I think they also have a public role to play. And especially in a, as American culture becomes increasingly secular, we've all seen the surveys where an increasing number of Americans no longer believe in God, no longer practice their faith, or no longer involved institutionally, at least, in, in religion. Um, I think the fact that we have these monuments across the American landscape drawing attention to the fact that there is this transcendent dimension, you know, that God does exist, uh, that faith is important, uh, and that we're, that we're missing something if we're not recognizing that, I think that has an increasing significance, you know, going beyond kind of the, the personal faith dimension uh, to this public dimension. But to the second part of your question, uh, yeah, the, the first one you mentioned, Chapter 1, St. Augustine, Florida, that was one of the places we went. Uh, when I was a kid, pretty young, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, uh, uh, the primary destination, I think, was was a week in a, in a condominium along the beach there in St. Augustine. But we also visited the Shrine of Our Lady of La Leche that you mentioned, and also the Basilica in St. Augustine, which is the focus of that chapter. I tell, uh, I guess you could say, the entire history of, of the state of Florida, of that region, obviously in a summary form, but the entire history of that state through the story of the Basilica of St. Augustine, because the Catholic presence uh, was there in St. Augustine from the very beginning in 1565. Um, and then more recently, in my own family, we actually um, used this book, I guess you could say, as, as a travel log. Uh, one of the chapters, chapter 23, the story, amazing story of uh, Venerable Augustus Tolton, the first uh, black American priest. Uh, we, we read that story as we were traveling. We were returning from a wedding in Denver, coming back to Ohio, and Quincy, Illinois was more or less on the way. And so we stopped in Quincy, and we located the grave of, uh, of Venerable Augustus Tolton. That was a place I had never been before. Um, so the, the, the story goes on as we continue to, to incorporate uh, these religious sites into our family vacations. Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to get the name of this person right, but towards Stevens Point here in Wisconsin, there was a Guatemalan martyr. I want to say his last name was Wilson, but I could be wrong. But he's buried in a local parish cemetery, and there are lots of people that stop by that individual's grave. He's not in a church. He's not buried in the cathedral or anything like that, just in the parish cemetery. But it's one of those places that people who are aware of his story, they stop and they visit and they pay their respects and kind of teach that story. Maybe they have kids uh, and they're able to share the story story of this Catholic brother. He was a Christian brother, uh, martyred in Guatemala. So you've been on lots of different vacations, it seems, and uh, we all make those little road trips uh, as we travel throughout our life. And has there been a favorite place regarding Catholic history in America that you've visited? Uh, that's a tough question to answer. I'll, I'll start by saying this. I think the, the site that's in the book that has been of most importance in my own life is the Relic Shrine in Maria Stein, Ohio. 
simply because it's played such an important, uh, prominent role in my own life because it's so close. Uh, in fact, we li- at this point, we live about uh, maybe 20, 25 miles from the shrine. My mother grew up in Maria Stein, uh, virtually in the, in the shadow of the place. Um, so it has been uh, an important site for, for family prayer, for uh, personal retreats. Um, the list goes on and on, the ways in which that particular shrine has played a role in my own spiritual development in my own life. So that would be one of them for sure. I've also been fascinated by uh, another site that isn't too far away, down the road in Kentucky, uh, around the area of Bardstown. This is This is a place that is well known in the immediate region, in the immediate area, but I'm surprised by how many people, how many Catholics included around the country are not familiar with Bardstown because this was an early center of Catholic life, the, the first center of Catholic life really west of the Appalachians. As as American settlers began to move west, uh, a group of those settlers were Catholics from Maryland, and they established the church in Bardstown, one of the early earliest dioceses in the United States. It was later moved to Louisville. But uh, this uh, goes by the name in that region of being the Holy Land of Kentucky. So there are a a lot of Catholic sites there, uh, including established a little bit later, but there's also the Abbey Abbey of Gethsemane, the Trappist Monastery, which gained some fame later in the 20th century because it was the home of Thomas Merton. Um, But lots of interesting Catholic sites in the Bardstown area. And I think it's interesting that you say that, you know, the Holy Land of Kentucky, because even here in Wisconsin, we have the Holy Land area as well. Like there's a Mount Calvary, and then there's a few other sites with religious names that people just regard as like the Holy Land of Wisconsin. And uh, it's interesting how some of these monikers take uh, to different uh, places uh, and the associations that people begin to make around them. So you're a professor of of history, and it's important, I think, for us to learn history. And especially, too, when we go to these places of pilgrimage, I always tell people you need to know the story and, like, you need to understand why it's important. I always use the example of Champion, Wisconsin. Mary appeared at this place in 1859, and so they get lots of pilgrims from all over the country and even the world. And sometimes people miss the place they're supposed to pray. Like they just don't know the grounds. They haven't done a lot of advanced study or preparation beforehand. They kind of just show up. They walk around. They look around. Maybe they say a few prayers, but I don't know if they fully come to appreciate the place. So why do you think it's important to know history and what can history teach us about a place? Yeah, boy, there's a lot to say on that question. So first of all, I totally agree with you that the history is important, that the that knowing the history of these places so greatly enhances our experience of them. And I've experienced that personally time and time again. Um, this book brought together a lot of different interests and kind of operates on a lot of different levels. So it is, as we've been talking about, it can serve as a kind of travelogue. Um, but I would say even more, primarily, this is, this is a work of history. Uh, that, that's my area of interest and expertise. And I'm really telling the history of American Catholicism through the lens of these particular places. Uh, so I start in St. Augustine, as we've talked about, way back in 1565. But if you go through the succession of chapters, you end up in the late 20th century uh, with the space program and the devout Catholic Gene Kranz, who was an important part of that. 
Uh, so I am really telling these historical stories. And, and why is that important? Why is it important to know that history, <clears throat> as I said, it enhances our experience of these places, but why does it do so? I think because ultimately places are about people. Uh, what you're doing when you're telling the stories of places, you're telling the stories of interesting people, edifying people for the most part. That's what most pilgrimage sites are about. They're about uh, saints or holy people uh, who were associated, whose lives were associated with those places or, or maybe who founded them, who built them. Uh, sometimes, though, the lives of unedifying people, which can also be instructive, <laughs> and there's some of that in this book as well. Um, all of these kind of give us lessons for how better to live our lives of faith. Uh, they can inspire us. They can also be warning lessons about uh, uh, pitfalls, sins, failures that we want to try to avoid in our own lives, uh, ways that we, that, we, that we need to or ought to reform our own lives. So all of those are, are kinds of lessons, uh, um, inspirations or lessons that we can derive from history, from the stories of people of faith who have gone before us, and, and those are the stories that are associated with these various sites. The subtitle of your book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, is this, People and Places That Shaped the Church in the United States. Who are some of those key people who shaped the church in America? Yeah, well, let me uh, talk about just a few of those then. So chapter 7 is about um, uh, the Loretto area in Pennsylvania, another fascinating figure of Father Demetrius Galitsyn, whose story began in Russia. He was a Russian prince, part of the Russian nobility. He ended up converting to Catholicism and then being ordained one of the first priests ordained in this country. I think he may have been the second priest ordained in the United States. And so right around the turn of the 19th century, goes to work in what was then the wilderness of Pennsylvania in, in central and western Pennsylvania and really helped to lay the foundation for what would be a very lasting and vibrant Catholic community in Pennsylvania. Um, you have the story of the founding of the University of Notre Dame, and everybody knows something about Notre Dame. It's played such an important role uh, in American life, not only American intellectual life, but also cultural life. Think about the Notre Dame football team, and in so many other ways, uh, Marian devotion, which is which is your specialty, Father, um, obviously named after Our Lady, and there is the replica of the uh, Grotto at Lourdes there on the campus of Notre Dame. But it begins with the story of Father Edward Soren, who is this Holy Cross father who comes to the United States in the mid-19th century. And uh, at that time, again, the wilderness, uh, northern Indiana, really on the frontier. And, and Father Edward Soren begins from, bare, from very modest beginnings, uh, begins a mission and a school there in South Bend, and it eventually develops into uh, the modern, prosperous, thriving University of Notre Dame that we see today. So those are just a couple examples. Oh, I'll mention one other one, just because her story is so uh, unbelievably interesting, uh, almost at times incredible. Uh, Sister Blandina Sagale, who, who works in uh, southern Colorado and in the Santa Fe era area in the late 19th century, Again, on the frontier, uh, bringing the Catholic faith to, to, to new areas of the United States and helping to lay the foundation for Catholic institutions, hospitals, schools, and so forth in, in that area. And Sister Blandina just has lots of amazing stories from her life on the frontier, including an encounter with Billy the Kid at one point, where, where she persuades him uh, not to take out revenge on, on the doctors of a particular town in which she's working. So, um, so many fascinating figures throughout Catholic history. And, and you get uh, at least a selection of them over the course of this book. 
I think as you make your way throughout the United States, you visit different places. For example, when I visit the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, in the middle of their campus, they have a statue of Bishop Ireland. And so there's a figure, you know, kind of a person you don't know, and then you learn their backstory. You just mentioned the sister, and I'm like, I've never heard of this sister, but what an incredible story. And when we see some of these monuments, for example, and I was just speaking uh, with an individual who uh, is the executive director of, uh, a sh- um, I guess you could call it a shrine out there in Iowa, in Sioux City, Iowa. Well, the priest who kind of set up this shrine area, they have a statue of him on the property. He's not a saint or anything like that. Or go to the Grotto of the Redemption. Again, they have the statue of the priest there. And it just is an invitation to learn their stories. And, you know, there, there's nothing that Google can't find, it seems, these days. So even if you do a simple Google search, you're going to come to a greater appreciation when you happen upon uh, some of these different individuals or places as you visit and travel and make your way around the United States. Yeah, very true. The internet was my good friend over the course of the research for this book. Uh, you can find a lot and an increasing amount of information, including a lot of primary source documents, are now on the internet. So you can do some you can do some pretty solid research. Um, you're right, and again, the importance of these monuments, as you say, invitations to learn more. And, and as I mentioned earlier, especially in an increasingly secular world, but also for those of us who, uh, you know, who aspire to be devout Catholics, serious about our faith, so much we don't know. I've been studying Catholic history systematically for 25, 30 years, and I'm still learning new things constantly. Um, and so, uh, as you mentioned, you know, sim- simply a statue or a historical marker, a sign, something of that nature that that invites us to learn more about this person and thereby move more more deeply um, into the truths, the mysteries, the the history, the culture of our faith. Uh, very important and and uh, can be such a valuable exercise as we go about living our Catholic faith. One of the things about the history of the United States of America is that it was highly influenced at some times by different missionaries and especially different religious orders. So where I live in Wisconsin, I always use this as a reference point just because I'm very familiar with our story here in uh, Wisconsin. But, you know, Father Claude Alloway comes in the 1600s in my hometown of Oconto. He celebrated mass on the banks of the Ocano River for the Indians who were gathered there. And that, that begins the Jesuit influence here in the Midwest. You have the Franciscan missionaries who established their missions in California. So there are lots of different religious orders then. And I guess, can you summarize maybe the role or significance that some of these orders have played throughout our history? Yeah, well, the religious orders did play, to, play a huge role in the United States, and not just here, but throughout the worldwide church. Uh, you mentioned a, a couple of examples of those. I mentioned earlier the shrine at Maria Stein here in Ohio. This is a religious order, less well-known, more regional, but Father Francis de Sales Bruner was the, was, uh, the, the, the figure in the Precious Blood Fathers who played p- such a big role here uh, in, in western Ohio. Uh, you mentioned the Jesuits in Wisconsin. You know, Father Jacques Marquette also had a presence in Wisconsin and, and Michigan and other places. He's known even uh, in secular American history as being one half of the the, the Marquette and Joliet expedition uh, back in the late 17th century. So uh, these religious orders did play such a huge role. And let's not shortchange uh, the women's religious as well. There's a chapter in my book on Mother Joseph Pirenso, the Sacred Heart Sisters, 
um, in, uh, sorry, the Providence Sisters is the pro- province of the Sacred Heart. That's what I was thinking of. But it's uh, the Providence Sisters uh, in Oregon and Washington. They established many of the charitable institutions in, in that part of the United States in the Pacific Northwest, uh, founded the first schools and hospitals in those areas. And some of those uh, still exist to this day. That's the, the site that I focus on is I think it's known today as the Southwest Southwest Washington Medical Center, but it was founded as as a, a Catholic hospital in the mid 19th century. So these religious orders did play a huge role initially in missionary and evangelization activity, but going forward in forming and staffing and continuing to staff many of the educational and charitable institutions that have been so much a part of Catholic life in the United States. In your book, you tell 27 historical stories, and there's a wide range of stories that you tell. You know, some of them are very nice, uh, beautiful stories. You know, you tell the story, as you mentioned earlier already, about Father Augustus Tolton, and so highlighting the first black American priest. Uh, you tell uh, different stories, right? And But there are some that maybe just the title is a little interesting, peculiar, and maybe because of the strangeness of it, people are drawn to it. One I'm thinking of is Peacocks and Provocative prose so what what is this story uh, about the peacocks yeah that would be something of a cryptic title for many people although i have had some readers who were able to identify the subject of that story from the title of the chapter because peacocks are famously associated with a well-known catholic author of the 20th century and her name was flannery o'connor she lived most of her life in georgia and that's the site i focus on is her family farm which became in uh in the final years of her life it became uh, her her residence really she was she was restricted to the house because she was uh, suffering from lupus and that's that that's what ultimately took her life in 1964. But Flannery O'Connor was famous for her peacocks because she raised these exotic birds on her farm there at Andalusia. But then she also wrote about them and 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 drew various drew inspiration in various ways from her experience uh, with peacocks. And she wrote about them in some of her stories. So Flannery O'Connor, uh, primarily a fiction writer in the mid late 19th century, and and she wrote kind of um, outlandish stories about outlandish characters. But her purpose was to highlight the role of transcendence again kind of going back to my earlier point about the fact that american culture is losing its sense of transcendence losing its sense of uh the intervention of god in history the intervention of of providence in our own lives and so flannery o'connor through these kind of uh wild stories told stories about uh the intervention of uh uh, the intersection, if you will, of the transcendent with the with our material life, and so hoped to rivet modern people's attention uh, away from the mundane and the daily and, and back to uh, the role of the transcendent. And so uh, Andalusia, her family farm there, an important part of her story and, and the fact that she she wrote, uh, you know, looking out her window there uh, across the Georgia landscape and wrote these stories that have endured. Flannery O'Connor's reputation really has just risen over the last few decades uh, People ha- as people have become not just Catholics, but, but many Americans have become more and more interested in, in the stories she tells and the window into into the divine that she provides through her stories. 
I know that people like Bishop Robert Barron are big fans of Flannery O'Connor, for example. So it's kind of not a surprise that when you have great popularizers of things that really she begins to take off in that sense. And to be honest, as you were sharing that, I never would have considered like visiting her home or considering that like a Catholic spot, you know. So you've brought in my perspective to what this might mean. You know, in my mind, I'm always confined to shrines or maybe, you know, like the home of St. Bernadette in Lourdes or whatever. But but never would I have thought of connecting, you know, a great Catholic American writer and visiting the place where she grew up. So uh, I appreciate that insight. Yeah, and there are several sites like that in this book. I think of another one like the, the grave of, of Dr. Samuel Mudd in Maryland. Not a pilgrimage site in the traditional sense of the term. Uh, I don't think Samuel Mudd is, uh, will ever be on the path to sainthood. Uh, but he played this prominent role in American history because he was convicted as one of the conspirators in the uh, assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. And so it's, uh, again, maybe not an edifying story, not a saintly story, but visiting the site of his grave and learning the story of Samuel Mudd does highlight the way in which Catholics have been part and parcel, so intrinsic to the entire American story and kind of present in every aspect of it. And maybe, as, as you indicate, maybe in some surprising ways or in some corners of American history in ways that uh, we weren't uh, aware of before I highlight those stories in this book. And you know, my specialty in theology is about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so this is a podcast. I call it How They Love Mary. It's the title of a new book that I wrote. And so the podcast was always to build up to writing a book on that topic. But every time I interview someone, even if it's not necessarily about a Marian topic, Mary can always find her way into our conversation. Because even in your book, there are several instances, you know, you talked about Notre Dame earlier. So that's Our Lady's University. And if you go to Notre Dame, Indiana, they have that beautiful Lourdes Grotto. They have Our Lady atop the uh, the dome. So there's Mary there. But you tell this wonderful story. And I actually interviewed uh, the sister who's maybe the director of the shrine down there in Louisiana, and uh, that's the in New Orleans, um, and that's Our Lady of Prompt Sucker, and how Andrew uh, Jackson, you know, finds Prompt Sucker during his time uh, there uh, during the Battle of New Orleans. So that's another instance where we integrate Our Lady. Or you talk about Holy Hill. I'm from Wisconsin, a hermit and a holy hill. And that has now become a great shrine to Our Lady, help of Christians. So Our Lady weaves her way into your book and into our history as a country. Yeah, to be sure, it's pretty hard to tell any Catholic story, really, and certainly American Catholic history, pretty hard to tell that story uh, without encountering Mary. Uh, she's there, you know, present herself, uh, but also culturally just in the devotion to Mary and um, all, all throughout American history, really from the beginning, uh, one place we didn't talk about yet, St. Mary's City in Maryland, which also goes way back into early American history, 1633, named after Our Lady. So this is the beginning of the colony of Maryland. 
Uh, so, yes, Marian devotion, prominent throughout American history. Um, a lot of that, but sh- certainly not exclusively, but a lot of that was French influence. We mentioned Father Edward Soren and 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 Our Lady at Notre Dame or the University of Notre Dame, um, Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, all of that uh, French devotion to Our Lady brought into American history by, by French uh, missionaries, French priests, French settlers who came here. Also, the Irish brought their particular uh, Marian devotion, the Germans as well. Uh, I mentioned Maria Stein already. Maria Stein is named after Our Lady of the Rock, a shrine in uh, Switzerland, uh, German-speaking Catholics. So all of these different ethnic groups brought their own sorts of flavors uh, of Marian devotion and in that way have all enriched uh, our experience of, of Marian devotion in the American experience. What I really love about your book is that it really is, you know, this Catholic pilgrimage through American history. So you're really taking us to these different places. I love the idea of pilgrimage. That's why I was really drawn to the book to begin with. And uh, you've talked a lot about some of these great places. People can learn so much more in the book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, People and Places That Shaped the Church in the United States from Ave Maria Press. But I'm wondering if there's one place you would say someone has to visit before they die as part of American Catholic history. What place would you recommend? Oh, gee, that's another unfair question, because sure. <laughs> there, are, there are so many important ones. We, are, we already talked about St. Augustine, so let me mention one other one that I think is really important, uh, because it kind of lays the groundwork for the American story. Mission San Diego in California. We haven't yet talked about um, the California missions. Um, I've only actually visited one California mission in person. There are 21 of them altogether, but... These are the beginning of the Catholic story in California, which would, of course, become such an important uh, populous state and so important in in our American life and culture. And the beginnings are are Catholic. And uh, going back to something we talked about earlier, again, these stories of particular places are stories of people. And there are lots of Franciscan missionaries, but most prominently a relatively recently canonized saint, Unipero Serra is is uh, is at the heart of the story of Mission San Diego, which was the first of the California missions founded and founded right around the time that uh, that the American colonies are beginning their path to independence. It was founded in 1769, so independence a few years later. Uh, uh, you know, on the other side of the country, on the eastern seaboard in the British colonies. Um, but that would be a great place to visit just because it's uh, it's so central to the American story and back at the beginning of the American story, and because it's uh, it points to that, that larger story of, of all the missions and of all the missionary activity in California and beyond. And you bring out an interesting point there, just mulling in my own head what you just said, that there are 21 different missions out there in California. You visited one of them, and I've not visited any of them myself. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, next year when I want to go on a vacation in the middle of winter, because winters in Wisconsin are brutal, well, maybe I'll go to California. I'll rent a car. I'll drive to all 21 of those missions and to see what they are and what they're like and and really uh, to engage in that aspect of history, because I've not had any part with that, you know. So uh, you mentioned Unipera Sarah, and there's a lot of controversy about him. What do you make of all that? Yeah, well, I think other historians have, have dealt with that question. If you look at, uh, I'm forgetting the particular historian, 
but there was an historian involved in his cause for canonization. And, you know, if you look at you look at the canonization process these days, it's it's very involved and they have lots of professional historians, not necessarily Catholic historians, lots of professional historians who are involved in that process. And so folks like Enim Paracera, uh, around whom some controversy swirls, they're very thoroughly vetted. And I think all of uh, that controversy has been dealt with, uh, to my satisfaction, certainly. The controversy is is about uh, the treatment of Native Americans in California, especially on some of the missions, the California missions that the Franciscans were running. And I think there there are some legitimate questions raised about some of the methods that were used at the missions. But these things have to be understood in historical context, and that's what the responses to some of the questions raised dealt with. Uh, they, they pointed out that Franciscans were generally defenders of the rights of the indigenous people within the context of Spanish colonialism, Spanish imperialism in 18th and 19th century California. And so that's the way in which the life and work of uh, of St. Unipero needs to be understood within that context. That is not judging him with a 21st century standard, because we are all far more sensitive um, ab- ab- about the rights of, of minorities, indigenous peoples, and about about cultural sensitivities, those kinds of things. That, that simply wasn't part of the worldview of the 18th century. And so it's wrong to kind of project that back onto the past. Instead, we, instead we need to look at what was the context in which they were working. And relative to that context, the Franciscan missionaries and St. Inapero in particular uh, stand out as heroes uh, for the ways in which uh, they treated the Native Americans and defended their rights in a very difficult circumstance. I've learned so much today from you, Kevin, and I think everyone listening has as well. And so my encouragement would be you can learn a lot more by reading the 27 different lessons that you're giving us in your latest book from Ave Maria Press, uh, a Catholic pilgrimage through American history. If people want to learn more, I, I don't know if you're, you have a website or if you do ongoing classes or whatever, anything like that, that's accessible to people. But if people want to know more about your work, how can they learn about you? Yeah, I don't really have one particular website. I suppose I should do that, but I'm a very poor marketer of myself. So <laughs> uh, I do have I do have an author page at Amazon where people can find some of my some of my other books. Also, the Freedom and Virtue Institute website. Um, we also have uh, my co-host Scott Scholze and I have a podcast called Catholic History Trek. So that's another good place to go. It's available wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, Catholic History Trek, and and that provides. Um, uh, a lot more historical material, both in U- U.S. Catholic history, but also uh, the history of the Universal Church. That's great. You know, I'm always looking to add another podcast to my subscriptions, especially because sometimes, you know, you're not interested in some of the topics, some of the podcasts you might listen to are covering or whatever. And so I'm definitely going to check that one out. Um, I'm curious, did this book come from that podcast or did this podcast or did this book lead to that podcast? Uh, I would say more of the latter that uh, the book led to the podcast. The podcast is a relatively recent thing. We started it uh, let's see late 2020, I think if I have my timeline correct. Um, the book is really the fruit of, as I mentioned earlier, 25, 30 years of exploration of American Catholic history. I do a weekly radio segment for uh, Catholic Radio, the Sacred Heart uh, radio, radio station in Cincinnati, which is it's part of the morning show, which is broadcast 
broadcast across the EWTN network. So I've been doing that for about 15 years, and the research for that segment was also the foundation for many of the stories that I tell in this book. Well, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing uh, so much about American Catholic history. When I was in college, I took a class on the Catholic contribution to the United States, and there's a lot more we could have talked about, but uh, I'm very happy with the conversation that we had today. Likewise, I enjoyed it, Father, and, and thank you for your good work. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I am honored by how many people listen to How They Love Mary. I hope that you'll continue to listen over the upcoming months as we continue to go through, lesson by lesson, my book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady. If you were touched by today's episode, consider sharing it on social media. And if you haven't already done so, please rate and review the podcast so that it might help others find it as well. Again, thanks so much for listening. Know of my prayers for you. Please pray for me. God bless you, and Mary intercede for you.